Good morning. Jonathan, I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, if you're a guest, welcome. Um, I haven't had a chance to say hi to you. I'd love to before you guys leave. Um, this is going to be a really tough sermon. <laughs> um, it was very tough for me um, writing it. Um, and because it's about discipline. Um, <laughs> take these. <laughs> Thanks, Martin. Um, it's about discipline. About um, how how does God actually discipline us? Oh boy, that's that's a sounds like an appealing topic so far, doesn't it? Um, as we walk through Isaiah, we're going to actually jump not Isaiah nine through nineteen, kind of in that realm today. Don't worry, we're not going to read ten chapters, but but as we step through this. Um, for those of you who I had talked to you this week, I was really struggling with where, like, what what the story was. That what how was God interacting with Israel um, as Isaiah is prophesying uh, through these through these chapters? And um, yeah, and so anyway, you guys will find out here. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm uh the the verse the the the. Music, the worship was absolutely on point <laughs> um, with what we're going to be talking about, right? Because we just sang, right? In every season, I'm going to still praise you when I, I always mix up the words, but you know, something about, uh, I think I was on the first song about like, like, I'm not forsaken, you never left me, something like that, um, right? Like, like, that's all true. And, and, if, and if we could just, and we'll get back to this a little bit in a second, but we often, uh, correlate, right? When I said discipline, if, if you know scripture, you probably went to, yes, God disciplines us like his children. That's correct. Good. It gets us most of the way there. But there's a problem with that. And, and we're going to kind of unwrap this and unpack it as we watch God discipline Israel. Um, when my kids were young, they would... Uh, Come to you with something broken, right? Go, can you fix it? Yeah, maybe, <laughs> right? Can't fix it. Can you replace it, <laughs> right? A broken screen, drop mine in the jacuzzi, right? <laughs> right? Not that that would happen, right? But like, as things happen, it's like, okay, Dad, can, can I can I get this one fixed? Can it or replace? As they get older, it becomes a lot of relationship stuff, right? Like. My friend said this, right? Like as a, you know, I had this argument at school or, you know, whatever, whatever things look like, it, it becomes, I can't fix it, but what can I do? I can support them, encourage them, probably talk more than I should, <laughs> probably should listen more. And that's it. That's, that is our capacity, isn't it? Like I can fix, I can replace, I can, I can counsel and help. And, and, and maybe if they, if they tell me they, they did something and I go, yeah, that probably wasn't the right way to respond, right? And, and we, we kind of discipline and train them up and God's way better than that. And what we're going to see this morning is that God's sovereign changes everything. The fact that he is in control, I don't get to say that I'm in control of all these things, right? I just am here to kind of 
repair and fix as best I can. And that's what we do as parents, right? And that's what our parents did for us. Um, but that's not how it works with God. And in fact, we're going to see that he's, he's intricately more involved. And in fact, we sing the one song, and honestly, I, 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 I disagree with the, uh, the verse. Um, where it, it she, she was, she was singing, I know, I probably should, I, this is off the cuff, so it was great. Um, but it, it was, it was contrasting when things are good and when things are bad, right? And I'm saying she, just because you were singing, Jennifer, so I'm sorry, she didn't write the lyrics or anything. Um, but like when, when things are good, what did it say? When harvest and providence flow. Oh, does that mean that providence is not happening when things are bad? Oh, that's E. <laughs> All of a sudden it's like, uh, where's that sovereign God of mine? So that's what we're going to dive into. But first, let me pray. <laughs> Father, help us to see you clearly this morning. I pray that we would allow your word to reveal yourself. Not what we think you're like or what makes us feel good, but who you really are and how deeply you love. Father, may your words pierce our hearts this morning. And I pray that if anything that I'm going to say that's confusing or distracting, I pray that you remove it and just insert it with your thoughts. We love you. All right, we're going to start in Hebrews chapter 12. <laughs> How about that one? <laughs> if you only brought your Isaiah book, I apologize. But we're going to, uh, you know, it's all of God's word, right? And so remember what we're doing is we're going through Isaiah. Um, we're looking at the characteristics of God and how God, right, who he is matters in, in what he's asked us to do and to live, right? And so we're, we're called to go. We're sent, right? And we're we're called to go out and proclaim the good news. And, and, and this God has asked us to do this, has commanded us to do this. And so it matters who he is. And so we saw that, that he doesn't just have issue this like blanket decree, but he actually reasons with us, right? Spencer came up here and preached about how he sees us as a vineyard, that he cares and prunes, right? With the expectation that, that we are then going to produce fruit, right? Like that there's a, there's a, there's a reason why God is doing this with us, that he loves us unconditionally. And this morning we're going to see uh, this other layer to him. So Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11. It says, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained He says here, okay, there's a few words that I want you to underline here. If you've got in your Bible or highlighted on your app, discipline produces what? The peaceful fruit of righteousness. So discipline creates righteousness. Righteousness produces fruit. That fruit is peace, peacefulness, peacemakers. We, we experience peace. We produce peace in our lives. Like this is the end result. And it's that last word, trained by it. It's uh, the, the Greek word is actually, it's, it's gymnazo, but it's spelled G-Y-M. It's the root for gym. 
gymnasium, exercise, for those who have been trained by it. All right, so anybody who's done sports in here knows that there's some significant parts of practice that are not fun. Right? And, and sometimes, that's because in the game you stopped running, and so your coach says, right, Jason, you can speak to this, right? You stopped running in the game, and so at practice, guess who's going to be doing some laps, right? Oh, were you tired during the game? Well, here, we can solve this. Let's start running, right? But on the other hand, there's, some, there's wind sprints, and there's important training that has to happen regardless of how you do in the game because you need to be trained, and you need to be physically fit. You need to be ready to go. And then there's reps, repetitions, right, of either lifting weights or whatever. I, in my mind, I think soccer moves with your feet, you know, like it's like over and over and over and over again. You're like, this is horrible. But it translates. It's, it's being trained. And so this is what he's pointing to. This is what the author of Hebrews is saying. Discipline is training for us. It's training. Just, just think of it. Because the word discipline has so much baggage associated with it that we all kind of reel from it. We think of uh, how my dad disciplined me or how I've heard of other people being disciplined by their mothers and, and just, just some, eh. because we're, we're not good at it. <laughs> we try to be good at it, but God's perfect at it. And so, so what we see out of our discipline here is that we have a God He's training us up. He's our personal trainer. Which means all of our lives, in every season, he's training. This is correcting. He's equipping us and preparing us and conforming us into the image of his son. That's what he's doing. That's his business. And what's going to happen when he does this? We're going to become more and more righteous. Now, the second you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you instantly receive Christ's righteousness, right? Like, this is the good news. This is the gospel. And we know that to be true. But as we live life, we become more and more righteous, right? More and more loving the things that God loves, hating the things that God hates, right? And so as we live in obedience to God with this reconciled relationship, what happens? Peace happens. And I'm not talking the peace that's just comfort, okay? We've talked about this before, right? That we all, even in Christian circles, we talk about how much we want peace. Really, we just want comfort. We want laziness, gluttony. We want to be able to just do what we want, not have any pain. A lot of times, that's what we want. But that's not what he's talking about here. This is peace. That's a reconciled relationship with God that goes, no matter what storm comes, I know that my God is training me and disciplining me. And it's all good. It's all for my good and his glory. That's the peace. There's peace in that. That's the peace that we take out of these walls, right? And we go and live in the world, and, and it's confusing and confounding to the world, going, how can you have peace in the midst of these circumstances? And you go, well, because my God is solid, because he's my personal trainer, because he's disciplining me, and I like it. You might not say that, right? All right. So... So we're going to step through real quick three re things, truths that I want us to take out of uh, discipline, okay? Because discipline, I, I, I want us to try, my objective here is to change how we hear the word discipline, okay? Because I think this first one is, is going to be an easy sell. God disciplines us to correct sinful behavior. 
Yeah. That's how we all think of it, right? And that's, that's pretty much the end. And, and, and that is true. That is completely true. In fact, um, as you go over to Hebrews, uh, let's see, back up a little bit, Hebrews 12, 5 through 6. As he leads into what I just read, he says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as son? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. That's, that's like, uh, hey, mm-mm. that's, no, <laughs> right? You're, you, that's, that's a sinful behavior. No, don't do that, right? And, this is, and God does this. He disciplines us. He says, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. All right, you guys good with that? I mean, we should be. That there's, that there's a rebellion where we can live outside of God's, God's obedience and say, hey, I, I want to do whatever I want to do. And he goes, that's not good for you. I know what's better for you, right? As parents, if your parents told you, yeah, you might not want to do that. <laughs> I know that seems okay, to ditch school or whatever, insert whatever rebellious thing that you did as a high schooler or middle schooler or whatever. But in the long run, that's not going to be good. Right? And so, so that's a good thing because that shows that God loves us. If we didn't parent our kids, if we didn't discipline our kids, if our parents didn't discipline us, I would say they, they, don't, they don't love you and we don't love our kids. Those are, those are tied, right? Like, we're all good with that. That discipline and love go together. So, so that's the first part of this. Now, here's, here's the comforting part. If you go to Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. His discipline isn't con- condemnation. It's not that God is going, I'm dissatisfied with you, I don't like you, I'm unhappy with you. It's not that. There's no condemnation. Remember, when we placed our trust and faith in Christ, we exchanged our sinful behavior, our rebellion, for his righteousness. So there's no condemnation. It's not as if when you're... I mean, I'll, let's just keep going with the parent example because it's so pertinent, right? When you discipline your kid, you're not like, hey, one more time, you're out of the family. I mean, you might have said that. I know I've said that, right? But that's ridiculous. And that's how God sees it. He's like, there's no condemnation. I'm not kicking you out. I'm, I'm, I'm disciplining you. And so, so we understand that. And, and that's the traditional one that God disciplines us for sinful behavior. God disciplines us even when we haven't done something wrong. Thought about this one? He disciplines us in, in different ways. And so go back. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8. Talking about Jesus here. And it says that for Jesus, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Why did Jesus suffer? Was God disciplining him? He was learning obedience, right? We could spend a lot of time on this, on this verse in particular. But we know that Jesus didn't sin. He was perfect and righteous. So then what was this? How was Jesus learning obedience? Especially if he's God. 
Well, he's, he has opportunity to practice obedience and faithfulness. You see, there's a whole realm of discipline that has nothing to do with your sin that God just wants to give you an opportunity to practice obedience and faithfulness. That's it. Why, why is this circumstance happening? So that you can demonstrate your faithfulness and obedience. Not to God, to yourself. Right? That's a good thing. John, in John chapter 9, the verses aren't on the board, but uh, the story, Jesus is, um, I don't even know where he's at, but <laughs> I don't know why I started that way. He's somewhere, um, somewhere in the Middle East. And, um, and there's a man who's born blind, John chapter 9. And they go, well, this guy was born blind. He's an adult now. Who sinned? And what does Jesus say? He goes, it wasn't his father that sinned, and it wasn't him that sinned. He was born blind so that God's power can be shown. That's it. Okay, let's extrapolate that, you guys. That means there is no child that's born that has a, a, a problem that's an accident. There's, there's nothing, right? Nothing is outside of God's purview. It says that he knits us together in our mother's womb, right? And so if a child is born with, with some sort of ailment or something that's going on, that wasn't an accident. That wasn't outside of God's control. It's so that God's power can be revealed in our world. Keep extrapolating. There is nothing that is happening that is not under God's providence or nation. With me on that. And so here is God who's going, no, I'm giving you an opportunity to demonstrate faithfulness and obedience. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. It's a reminder for ourselves. And this is why James, probably the most commonly quoted one at horrible times, James chapter 1, verse 2, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith, that testing isn't for God to see whether you believe in him or not. Okay? Just leave that one there. We're not going to spend a lot of time. That's not what the testing is. It's for you. For you to know what your faith is. It produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's why the trials and temptations same reason Jesus was tempted in the desert, right? His temptation was not, this, was not sin, obviously, because Jesus doesn't sin. And yet there's this temptation. So he could demonstrate obedience and faithfulness to God. So that he could tell Satan that man doesn't live on bread alone, but by the very word of God, right? He gets the, an opportunity to demonstrate this, and that's the same for us. And so sometimes our discipline is, is because God is uh, correcting our sinful behavior, Sometimes it's just for us to demonstrate obedience and faithfulness. And the last point, we should all want to be disciplined. There should be no aspect of our life where we go, I don't want this. This, this is for you. This is for you to wrestle with God. I wrestled with this one. <laughs> we should all want to be disciplined. We should all want to be trained by sovereign, loving God. 
partner you with Isaiah. There's the framework of discipline. Now let's watch how God disciplines Israel. And I think what we're going to see is a little bit of each one of these pieces, right, as it, as it gets revealed uh, in here. We're going to start in Isaiah uh, chapter 12, verse 1. We're going to see what the end state is. This is, this, is, this is after the discipline, okay? After the discipline has happened, here's what, here's what uh, he says. Isaiah chapter 12, verse 1. You will say in that day, right? Like, I know it's rough right now, but in that day, when all, when all this is behind you, you will say, I will give thanks to you, O Lord. You were angry with me. Your anger turned away. That you might comfort. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. We, we could say these to ourselves, these words, right? Because this is what he's saying. He's like, in that day you're going to say, man, there were times when, man, it really seemed like God was angry with me. And maybe when you're living in rebellion, it, it is anger, but it always kind of looks a little bit like you're on the bad side of God sometimes when, when things are going bad, right? You're like, man, what is he doing? What is he doing? I cannot take this anymore. What in the world is God doing? It says that his anger turned away so that what? So that he could come. So that he could come in and be the rescuer. So that he could say, do you see who I am? Did you look up? Did your, did your trust in me grow in this? All right, so let's back up. Let's back up to what, what's before that day happens. We're going to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 8. <clears throat> so God is going to go in and he's going to punish Israel. Okay, we, we just read what's going to happen, what, what the end state is, what God's end state of this is. Here's where the rubber meets the road, where God's actually working and disciplining and training Israel, okay? Now, I want you, there's two, there's two characters we're going to talk about here. There's Rezin, the king of Syria. Do not confuse that with Assyria. It's a whole other country, okay? So Rezin, if it references Rezin or Syria, that is uh, the country that was actually actively involved with um, uh, conquering and, and working in the Judah, the southern kingdom. And actually, like, going in and, um, and hurting them and injuring them and, and doing all these things, right? Assyria is going to come in later and roll up Syria, okay? So th that's, that's what ends up happening, okay? Um, and then Babylon is going to come in after that and roll up Assyria, okay? So, so that's, that's how all this is, is, is playing out. So it says in verse 8, The Lord has sent a word against Jacob, and it will fall on Israel. And all the people will know, Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria, who say in pride and in arrogance of heart, The bricks have fallen, but we will build with dressed stones. The sycamores have been cut down, but we will put cedars in their place. But the Lord raises the adversaries of resin against him and stirs up his enemies. The Syrians on the east and the Philistines on the west devour Israel with open mouth. For all this, his anger has not turned away, 
his hand is stretched out still. Okay, let me put let me put a little bit of it was like the Bible study time of going, huh? Okay. So what happens is, is Syria rolls in and is like destroying these towns, right? And what is what is Israel's response? They say in verse 10, the bricks have fallen, but we will build with dressed stone. Okay? The sycamores have been cut down, but we're gonna put cedars in their place. This is going to be extremely applicable to you in, like, just five seconds, okay? Here's this town that's destroyed. And what does Israel clean up? Fix it. Instead of bricks, let's, let's make it stronger. Let's, let's do it with some stone. Instead of these weak sycamore trees, we're going to put in cedar. God's punishing Israel. Not punishing. Sorry. Disciplining Israel. God is disciplining Israel, and what happens? Israel goes, oh man, we got to clean this stuff up. We got to build stronger buildings because Syria keeps, you know, knocking them down and, and taking over our towns and we need better trees. Okay, th- this is exactly our life. So here is God disciplining us. And all we do is mitigate the problem. We just try to fix it. We live our lives planting better trees, strengthening our houses, securing our finances, switching our jobs, trying to shore up our, our relationships with our friends and family. We're always in this patchwork of just trying to fix things. Right? Isn't this what we do? Isn't our entire lives, uh, the car's broken again, the house is, you know, I, I, we're, we're always just running around trying, and it's not even just material possessions, even in our relationship across the board, we're doing the same thing Israel. God is actively disciplining them, and they aren't even looking. They aren't even asking the question, what is God trying to teach me in this? All they're doing is going, how can I fix this problem? And we go back to how our parents discipline us and how we discipline our kids. What do we do? Fix it, replace it, or comfort me. That's not what a sovereign God does. You see, a sovereign God is going, no, no, I put that there. I did this because I'm disciplining you. I'm training you. You see, a sovereign God changes absolutely everything. Doesn't it? I mean, think about this. How often do we sing or talk or pray in a way that's asking God to just comfort us or solve the problem? Guys, sickness is not even, it's, it's part of this. It's all in this. Reference the guy, the guy born blind. Everything is under God's sovereignty. And so, do we sit here and look at these things and go, God, would you take this away from me? He goes, well, no, because I put it there for a reason. Okay, will you, will you make it go away? Will you solve the problem? Not yet. You still have more to learn. You still have a few more reps, a few more wind sprints before your faith is going to be strengthened by the circumstance. 
okay, God, will you just, will you just comfort me in this? He goes, do you want to know why I'm doing this? Look at what it says in verse 13. The people did not turn to him who struck them, nor inquire of the Lord of hosts. So here's Israel, like, they're just picking up, trying to solve things just like we are. And God's going, you want to know why why I'm doing that? You want to know what kind of discipline I'm, I'm, is, is this? Do you want to know if this is because of sin or if this is just me training you up? Do you want to know what my thoughts are on this matter? And yet this is how we live. We do the same thing Israel does. We just try to fix our problems and try to find this life that that has no problems. (laughs) And we call that peace. And he goes, that's not peace. Peace is you knowing me. Peace is a reconciled relationship with me. Peace is living a life in peaceful obedience and righteousness, pursuing the things that I want you to pursue and and ignoring and pushing away the things that are rebellious. That's where you're going to find peace. Stop trying to fix your stuff. Inquire of me. Okay. Get over to Isaiah chapter 10. Here's probably one of the, the, the most difficult problems we have in this discipline. Because I'm throwing stuff out here and, and you're probably going, well, what about this, Jonathan? What about this? Or how about this situation? And... Uh, I, I probably don't have answers to all of them. How, I definitely don't have answers to all of them. Um, but I think one of the toughest parts is that often these problems, this discipline from the Lord, comes in the words, in the actions. Other people. Sometimes, sometimes there are people that we know that have offended us or challenged us in some way. Sometimes it's a faceless entity that's making decisions that end up affecting us. But there's this, there's this animosity that that distracts us from looking towards God and inquiring of Him because we get caught up in the same thing that the world gets caught up in which is good versus evil, good against bad. I'm always on the good side. Everybody else is always on the bad side. And that's how we live life. And so instead of inquiring of the Lord, what did Israel think of uh, Syria? Like, they didn't like them. (laughs) It's not like they're like, yeah, come in, destroy the town. God's disciplining us. No, they hated them, most likely. And, and this animosity, we do the same thing. We go, no, 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 the problem isn't that God is disciplining me. The problem is, is that my boss is a jerk. The problem isn't that, that God is trying to correct my sinful behavior and that my, my envy and my pride and my selfishness. It's my wife who just won't understand. My marriage is on the rocks because it's her fault or it's his fault. What's God doing? See, when we we play into this game of 
of right and wrong and good and evil and, and I'm always the one that's trying to defend myself. We've totally missed what God is doing. And it's this animosity that brews in us. So here's what we're going to see in Isaiah chapter 10. Is that when, when God sends in Assyria, Israel doesn't like it. And yet, God sent in Assyria. Read with me in, in Isaiah chapter 10, verse 5. Ah, Assyria, the rod of my anger. The staff in their hands is my fury. Against a godless nation, I send him. Let me just stop for a second. God is sending Assyria against the godless nation of Israel. You see the complexity of our sovereign God? Well, no, I thought Israel was the people. He's disciplining them. And against the people... Of my wrath I command him to take spoil and seize plunder, to tread them down like the mire of the streets. But he does not so intend, and his heart does not so think. But it is in his heart to destroy and to cut off nations, not a few. King of Assyria wasn't being obedient to God in his actions. Okay? The king of Assyria is going in to judge Israel. God is going in using Assyria to discipline Israel. To go, hey, what you're doing, that's wrong. Your idolatry is wrong. You're living rebellious. And so God sends in Assyria. But Assyria is rebellious to God too. Sinful, rebellious, they, they, they certainly don't worship God at all. So what is happening here? Do you guys understand how weird this is, right? And so what God is doing is he is using a sinful, rebellious nation as his tool for disciples. Discipline. For training us. God uses the sinful behaviors of others to discipline. Not us versus them. We don't fight wars, flesh and blood. Right? Not us versus them. If we would just, if we would just get this. And here's the thing: the king of Assyria, he's doing what he does, right? Which is just like mayhem and kill people. And God's gonna, and we're, we're gonna get there. God doesn't leave, doesn't let that go unnoticed. But are there people in your life that are just thorns in your side? I'll just take that as a yes. Not an accident. Could it be that God is using them, their rebellious, violent, horrible attitudes of life But like I said, it doesn't go unpunished. Look at what it says in verse 12. When the Lord has finished all his work on Mount Zion and on Jerusalem, which I think that's beautiful, right? When the Lord has finished all his work, his work was like 
top roping Israel, right? And like crushing them and punishing them. He's like, when he's done with his work, when he's done with the discipline on Israel, he will punish the speech of the arrogant heart of the king of Assyria and the boastful look in his eyes. Keep it down to verse 15. It says, shall the axe boast over him who hews it? Hews with hews? <laughs> Sorry, probably should practice that one. Or the saw magnify itself against him who wields it? As if a rod should wield him who lifts it, or as if a staff should lift him who is not wood. See what he's doing here? He's going, no, he was my tool. He was a saw. He was a staff. He was the rod. He was my tool. Assyria doesn't tell me what to do. I told Assyria what they were going to be used for. It says, therefore, the Lord of hosts will send wasting sickness among his stout warriors. And under his glory, a burning will be kindled like the burning of fire. The light of Israel will become a fire and his holy one a flame. I'm actually going to skip the second Kings there, actually. But go take a note. Second Kings chapter 19, verse 32. That's exactly what God does against us. They are, and, and there's, there's more to this as you get to chapter 9. It's super cool. Um, Isaiah's prophesying, like, man, Assyria's going to come in. They're going to get all the way up to the neck, but they're not going to get into Jerusalem. They're going to they're gonna ravage everything, but they're not going to take Jerusalem. And this is what Isaiah's saying. And, and the kings are like, yeah, you sure? Um, you, sure that, you sure they're going to stop here? And sure enough, what happens? God sends a wasting sickness. They wake up in the morning, and 185,000 Assyrians are dead. Nebuchadnezzar's like, okay, we're going to go home. And then he leaves. And that's it. Like, here's this conquering kingdom coming in to take Israel. And God goes, that's enough. Don't. So again, I ask, is there somebody that's a thorn in your side? And if they're there, put them there. Providence. You inquiring of the Lord, how, how ought I be? Asking God, what what are you doing in this? Are you revealing sin in my heart? Yeah, maybe. Are you guiding me? Are you disciplining me? Are you training me so that I would become and live a life of righteousness that produces fruit, that's peacefulness? Well, that's going to be really awkward because I really hate them. <laughs> Stop with the animals. I'm doing it. And here's, here's the most beautiful part of all of this. Go to Isaiah chapter 19, verse 21. And I, I just, again, the context of this is Isaiah is prophesying what is going to happen. Right? Read verse 21-25. And the Lord, this is in the future, he says, and the, and the Lord will make himself known to the Egyptians. Okay? So I'm going to pause there for a second. The Egyptians were not, like, good people in all of this, right? You basically had Israel, and then you had everybody else that, that hated Israel, right? So, so he's talking about the Egyptians here, and he says, he says, and the Lord will make himself known to the Egyptians, and the Egyptians will know the Lord in that day, and worship with sacrifice and offering, and they will make vows to the Lord and perform them, and the Lord will strike Egypt 
striking and healing. Discipline, isn't it? Striking and healing. So, so does God discipline only, only people that are currently professing uh, Christians? God's, God's working in a much broader context than what we could ever imagine. Striking and healing, and they will return to the Lord. He will listen to their pleas for mercy and heal them. In that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria, and Assyria will come into Egypt, and Egypt into Assyria, and the Egyptians will worship with the Assyrians. Isaiah is prophesying this to the southern kingdom as they're getting rolled up by Syria, eventually Assyria, and Isaiah is saying, there's going to be a day when the Egyptians and the Assyrians are worshiping Yahweh. Where's that animosity go now? What do you do with that hatred? What do you do with the hatred of the person that you know, maybe, God is rescuing? You're going to be standing alongside of them in the presence of Christ in eternity. Where's your animosity in your hatred now? Verse 24, in that day, Israel will be the third with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth, whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. This is our God. This is how he disciplines. This is how he works. He doesn't work in these little microcosms that we think in our finite world like he likes people who, who are generally good. And, and He is training us. And there is not a single situation in your life that is outside of God's providential control. Take that one. Run with it. Wrestle with it. Prove me wrong. Scripture says very clearly, that God is sovereign over all things. Well, what about this? Yes. What about this? Yeah. Can your God handle that? Can you handle that? Is your God big enough? We like to fit him into this little box where we can say, no, he, he, this, is, these are, these are the, this is where he operates, but out here, that's, that's badness and that's stuff that he, he just reacts to. Not biblically. He's omniscient. He knows everything. He's omnipotent. He's, he's all-powerful. He's sovereign. He ordains all things. He conforms all things for our good and His glory. This is our God. The story of Job. Good luck with that one. Right? I mean, we... But, but then when it's happening to us, we're like, what are you doing? God's ways are not our ways. His discipline is the best thing. And it produces in us, he promises, peace. real peace, lasting peace that comes from a reconciled relationship with him. He does it. And here's the beautiful part. God doesn't have some sort of, some sort of, uh, you know, bar that you gotta you gotta clean yourself up first, and then He's gonna start working with you, right? He's not like a professional trainer that you're like, well, you know, it's not worth my time. 
get a little bit better, use some, some worse coaches, and then when you get better, then you can have my, my expertise. That's not how God operates. Everybody, right? Romans 5.8. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us, right? Like, God has started this thing, and he's going to finish it. And he's going to bring it to completion, everything that he starts. So we have hope. The world doesn't have this. It's, it's chaos, and it's animosity, and it's good versus bad, and it's, it's just us trying to muddle our way through and fix things and, and repair things. But for us, for us who know Christ, what are you doing? What are you teaching? How are you training? 